Yeah, well, let, let's dig in. Hello, everybody. I'm David Cooks, and I tell you what. We know that paralysis can take on many forms. It can be physical like mine. It can be And what we try to do is feature stories that go from difficult places to fulfilling purpose. What seems impossible a 22-year-old real estate agent has made sacrifices all throughout his life to get him to the point where he is today. Michael Phillips has a story that I think will impact whoever is listening today. If I did drop out, you know, I'd have I'd, you know, no place to stay, no money, nothing like that. But I feel like uh, my, my mom kind of went through the same thing when she first came to America. She didn't have a phone, couldn't read, illiterate. And, you know, she just got dropped off at JFK airport with no money, nothing but the clothes on her back. And, you know, she was able to find her family and then, you know, make a life for herself. So I felt like if she could do something like that, there's no excuse as to why I can't take the risk. Got so much to give, a lot of life to live. You must go from paralysis to purpose. Get your pen and paper out. Yeah. I'm taking notes. Paralysis to purpose. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. I'm your host, David Cooks, and I say it every time. I have the best job in the world. I get to interview some of the most interesting people, and today is no exception. Michael Phillips from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He is a 22-year-old real estate agent who has a story that I think will impact whoever whoever is listening today uh, because he's made sacrifices all throughout his life to get him to the point where he is today. Michael, uh, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Glad to be here. Very excited. Yeah. Well, you know what? Why don't you just begin and tell us a little bit about your background, your family, uh, where you're from. For sure. Uh, like you said, I'm uh, from Philadelphia. I was born in Trenton, but I lived in Philadelphia pretty much my whole life up until uh, last year. And uh, I'm a first generation American. My parents, uh, pretty much my whole family uh, immigrated here from uh, Liberia. And uh, Liberia is actually one of the uh, the uh, poorest countries uh, in the world. Um, unfortunately, they, uh, there was a bunch of civil wars that happened uh, uh, in the 90s, early 90s, mid 90s, that uh, pretty much uh, ransacked the entire country. So uh, that kind of was the beginning of my family, you know, uh, immigrating to America. Do you have brothers and sisters? Um, tell us a little bit more about your family. I was the uh, only child of both my parents born here. And I do, I have uh, 14, 14 brothers and uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, six on my dad's side and uh, eight on my uh, eight on my mom's side. So uh, I'm the I'm the baby. Yeah, you aren't gonna tell us you had 14 siblings. Uh, <laughs> every every time I say that, you know, people's eyes light up. Like, what is that real? Like, yeah. Well, that's real. My mom is the youngest of 18. And where's your family located now? Um, so, some are some live in uh most of them are still you know in the Philadelphia area. My mom lives in Trenton. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I have some siblings as well that live in Rhode Island as well. Oh, okay, that's fantastic. Do you guys have uh, family get-togethers at all? Yeah, not not as much as before, but uh, yeah, we still do from from time to time. Wow, that's great. How about uh, going back uh, to Liberia at all? Have have you all gone back to visit? Do you have relatives there that you stay in, in touch I have with? Relative, I have. I actually never been there before. I'm trying to go. Hopefully, uh, the end of this year, we're making a making a trip. I was actually supposed to go there. Uh, 
when I was in sixth grade, but uh, we couldn't find my passport when it was time to leave. So I got left behind. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty sickening. But uh, uh. but uh, this the, by the end of this year, hopefully, that's the plan to uh, to go over there. I'd like to go see the family over there as well. Okay, uh, you have your passport, right? Yeah, yeah, got it this time. Got it this time. What did your mom and dad eventually do when they came here? Uh, my dad actually, uh, he was pretty much a mechanic. That's what he did for the majority of the time. He actually, you know, lived the most of his working life in Liberia. And when he came over here, he was semi-retired, but, you know, he retired around the time I was in fourth grade. My mom was actually a CNA. She still kind of works with the uh, okay. the old folks still today, even. Okay. Uh, so she's been doing that pretty much uh, up until my freshman year. She has she's until she started having knee problems, and uh, you know now she's kind of, I guess, sort of freelancing. Uh, I, I like to look at it. You know, she does live-ins here and there. Doesn't work quite full time. My pop actually just uh, just passed away in uh, last around Christmas time. So uh, okay. that was, I guess, the last family get together. But yeah, so you you come from a, a family that works hard and and uh, just believed in education and doing doing the best you can with with what you had. So, um, so let's talk about your high school. You know, your high school career. Uh, what was it like for you? Um, were there any challenges you faced along the way um, as you were growing up or in high school that that helped shape you into the person you are now? Um, I'd like to say most of the uh, challenges that I had were in the in the home more so than in school, just because um, with throughout my siblings, throughout most of my family, I'm the you know spoiled one because uh, I was born and raised in America. So in terms of hardships, I didn't have to go through you know anything near what they had to go through. So uh, you know the upbringing I've had, you know, to, for American standards, you know, it's decent, you know, mm. lower middle class, regular middle class, but you know to their standard, you know, I'm, you know, pretty much living in heaven where they, you know, had to, you know, go to the wells, get water, you know, stuff like that. You know, even I remember the last time I was talking with my uh, my oldest brother on my mom's side, Morris, he, you know, he was talking about how at times he would drink water and wouldn't even know if it's clean or not. So, you know, when I go to the fridge and, you know, I'm just getting bottles of water, you know, not finishing it all the time, you know, they kind of lay, lash at me, you know, don't spoil food, all that type of stuff just to, you know, have me uh, grounded, you know, just to make sure that, you know, I don't become spoiled. And I guess that kind of took a life of its own when I, you know, when I go into school, I'm, I was never really the type to uh, complain too much because, you know, my mom wouldn't let me complain, you know, because they would always remind me, hey, this is what we had to do growing up in Africa, you know, you're in America, you have it all. I remember, you know, kindergarten time, my aunties, some of my siblings, my mom, I remember used to be in the car with them and they used to listen to the uh, tape of the uh, citizenship test and all that stuff. So I used to see them going through all of that, you know, jumping through hoops, trying to get their visa, all that type of stuff. And, you know, me realizing that I didn't have to go through any of that, they made sure I knew that stuff, you know? So I like to look at myself sort of, lucky that I didn't have to go through that, but lucky that I at least got to see it. So I at least, even though I didn't experience it myself, I saw how troubling it was, you know, that people try to come to America and, you know, make a life for themselves. Wow. So, yeah, so you were, that's interesting how you were in the backseat of a car and you would hear the cassette tape playing and they were practicing so, so they could become citizens of the United States. Share a little bit about perspective and and how your perspective has been formed. Uh, it just starts off with little things in the house. Like if I'm, if I'm eating, you know, most, 
you know, American kids when we're eating, we don't finish it a lot. You know, we'll throw the food out. You know, I remember this one time, uh, I think I was like six or seven, I was eating some rice and uh, I was about to throw it out. And my dad, you know, he stopped. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm throwing the food away. And he's like, well, what do you think? You, I mean, he would always, you know, take the food and finish it for me. If I was full, you know, and when I, when I was full, didn't want to eat anymore, you know, he would always finish it. He would never let me, he would never let me throw it out or he couldn't, you know, sit there to throw it away. Or even just uh, some of the, even some of the uh, technical, technological things that uh, aren't quite as advanced, you know, sometimes my family would come here and still kind of do the same old old school stuff that they did back home. You know, I would see that firsthand, you know, when it comes to uh, making some food, they sometimes they wouldn't just, you know, put it in a blender. Sometimes they would mash it up you know, with, they would have this thing called a Malta, you know, they would mash up the pepper and stuff like that. And um, just seeing the cultural differences and, you know, in my house versus when I go out to my friends, when I see how their parents act or, you know, how they they act in their house versus, you know, the type of culture in my house, you know, it was always, it was always night and day, you know, my parents, my mom to this day, you know, still works, even though she really doesn't need to, because that's just all she knew when she was a little kid. You know, uh, when I was, when I was 10 years old, you know, I'm, you know, riding bikes with my friends, playing basketball, football in the streets, doing things that normal kids do in this country. But back home, you know, my dad, he didn't have his dad, his father died when he was young. So, you know, all they know is work, you know, uh, you know, helping my grandmother, both of them, my grandma, they were, you know, pretty much their their mother's right-hand men. You know, I remember my mom used to tell stories about how she used to take, uh, when she was little, she used to take like peppers, spices, just little things. And then she would walk uh, like two, three hours to the other side of town and sell it. And she would be there all day, sell it, you know, make her little pocket change and then come back. And then she wouldn't even get a chance to touch any of that money because she would have to give it to her mom, my grandmother. And then, you know, they would use it to sew clothes for her, all the, you know, basic necessities. When I had a job, you know, when I was working 16, 17, I could keep the money. I could go buy whatever I want. And, you know, just just those little things, you know, I would always think of think of that stuff, you know, and even if I forgot, you know, my mom would always, you know, beat it into my head. You know, you have everything you want in this country. You could do whatever you want. You know, don't let it go to waste. You see, you know, your auntie, your uncles back in Africa, you know, pretty much struggling to get over here and you know you have it all don't let it go to waste make them proud you know stuff like that how how important was education to your parents oh oh i mean you know unless you were dying you know you had to be in school you know pretty much uh and they they know how education is important because uh they didn't get the opportunity to go to school i remember uh, my mom is actually illiterate she never had the chance to go to school just because you know it, you know, she had to work pretty much as soon as she was, you know, 10 years old. She's been working, you know, she's in her 60s now. She's been working pretty much since she was 10. My dad never had the chance to go to high school because, you know, he didn't have any dad and he's the oldest. So um, my my his uh, his little, my uncles and aunties, his little sis, siblings call him Boyer. You know, that's actually dumb kind of like brother, uncle Boyer, you know, even though he's their brother, they call him uncle just because, you know, he pretty much raised all of them. He was the man of the house. So he never had the opportunity to further his education and all that. So, you know, when they had me, they, you know, beat that into my head, you know, go to school, learn all that. I remember, um, I remember uh, when I was uh, maybe in like first grade, I, I wanted a PlayStation and uh, my mom said, no, no way you're not getting a PlayStation. And she bought me a little leapfrog thing. 
uh, you know, to uh, get my education and all that stuff. So when I go to school, you know, I'm ahead. You know, my mom is definitely like that. I remember, um, you know, stomach aches, headaches, doesn't matter. You know, you're going to school no matter what. You know, and, you know, if I have a C, you know, if I have a C, that's a bad grade. You know, why you bring a C is pretty much as bad as an F, you know, to to my parents. So uh, I it always started that way, you know, make sure you get an education. You know, when I told my parents, you know, I got into college, you know, when I was going, when I initial plans to uh, finish college, get my master's degree, you know, my mom was, you know, all giddy, like a little kid, you know, things like that, you know, so uh, education's definitely the forefront because they know having a good education, you know, gives me avenues to other paths in life that they weren't, that they didn't have the opportunity to get, you know, so uh, they want to make sure that I understood their sacrifice and I do understand their sacrifice. I think sometimes we forget what our ancestors um, had to go through. You know, I, I, I talk my parents uh, when I was born, that was the first time they were allowed to vote. You know, that wasn't that long ago. And sometimes we forget that there are people who have died so that we can get an education and that we're slaves and, and taught themselves how to read and do things. And that we need to kind of understand that and keep education as a priority in our community. Because like you said, an education opens the door for you to do a lot of things and become a lot of uh, very successful. So you, you decided to go to college. Let's, let's pick it up there a little bit. So you graduated from high school. Did you play any sports or anything in high school? What else did you do? Do you have, were you allowed to do extracurricular things or I know you said you were working. Yeah, I played basketball in high school. You know, uh, I played basketball in high school and college. So that was pretty much the only sport I played, but uh, basketball was uh, pretty much, you know, all day, you know, I had hoop dreams. I wanted to play in the NBA, just like any kid my age at that particular time. Who was your favorite player? Oh, Allen Iverson, Allen Iverson, all, you know, that's, that's the, I'm a huge Sixers fan, huge Sixers fan. So seeing Allen Iverson, that was, uh, that was, that was my inspiration to play basketball, you know, wanted to be a point guard, just like Allen Iverson, you know, dribble across people over, just like, I don't know, of course I was never as good as him, but, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was my inspiration into the sport. And um, I love playing football as well. I didn't play football for school. I probably, I wish I, wish I would have, but uh, yeah, that was the only other, extracurricular activity that I did while I was in high school. Um, what position did you play? Oh, I played forward. Uh, we were pretty short, so I could never play the guard like I would like to. But uh, yeah, I played forward. All right, you played forward. And high. then you said you played in college. Now, what, what college did you end up going to? Um, my first two years, I was at a little junior college uh, in Titusville called uh, Pitt, Pitt Titusville. Afterwards, I transferred to a school in Erie, PA called uh, Gannon University. So that's where I went to the last last year. Okay. So Gannon University. So you went to, you had hoop dreams like a lot of people and everything, and, <laughs> uh, but you knew you had to get an education because your parents were like, exactly. you're, coming exactly. here, you're coming here with anything below a C. Uh, and see, that's, I grew up in that same environment. Um, they always told us, do the best you can. And, but we, had, there was an unwritten rule you know, C's, you really just, you're not trying hard enough if you're, if you're just getting the C. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I don't know if that was always true, but that's exactly how we had to operate. Um, so you go to college. Initially, what did you want to study while you were in college? Um, well, my first year in college, I was kind of undecided. I kind of was a, you know, generic business major pretty much because, uh, you know, that was maybe the only thing to me that made sense. And you know, I wasn't too in interested in um, reading or sciences or stuff. And math, I probably may maybe math would have been the next best option. 
but uh, business kind of seemed something that um, intriguing to me, you know, uh, that, that was an avenue that I liked. And uh, after my second, after my first year, I decided that I wanted to uh, study accounting and finance. And that's what I studied my second and third year while I was in college. Okay. So you did accounting and finance. I, I started my college career in accounting and ended it in finance. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I understand how that goes. So you were, you were at a junior college for the first couple of years, and then you, you went to Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, I was in college for a total of three years. So I was at Gannon for about one year. And then that's kind of when, um, a little bit before, you know, the pandemic stuff hit, maybe like a month prior to the, I think like February, February, mid of February is when I decided that, uh, I was questioning whether I wanted to be in college by that point. And then a little bit after spring break, this was maybe like a week or two before the lockdowns. Uh, that's when I decided that uh, dropping out was probably the best option for me. So let's, let's, un let's unwrap that a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, you, you know, you, you've been driven, you know, to, to get an education. You obviously uh, did what you needed to to get there. What was it? You know, what was the thought process as you begin to think that, you know, maybe this college thing is not for me or maybe I should try another avenue. What, could you help us with that? Well, my whole life, I've always wanted to be rich. You know, I wanted to make a lot of money and be able to do what I want when I want. You know, uh, being, uh, even though, you know, my family is, you know, a hardworking family, you know, hardly ever miss a day of work, you know, always there doing the best, working to the best of their abilities. But the number one thing they complain about all the time was money. You know, they always complain not having enough money to pay the bills, not having enough money to go on vacation. And I didn't want to be like that. So that was kind of the attitude I've had my entire life, maybe, you know, for as long as I can remember. And um, while in college, I, I guess I kind of felt like uh, I was uh, wasting time to some extent. Like I, I liked accounting. I, I really like accounting. I like finance. I like, I love the major, but uh, I, you know, I couldn't see myself doing that for you know, 40 years, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was uh, happy with it. And maybe I probably could have done it as a career, but I felt like I could have done something differently, maybe, you know, raise my income faster. So I, around that point in time is when, you know, I started uh, reading books. I started, uh, you know, I started reading books, watching videos and stuff like that on YouTube, trying to figure out if there was anything potentially else that I could do. And by that point in time, I was already in college for three years. So I didn't, I didn't think changing my major was maybe the uh, smartest decision or smartest use of my time, you know, considering I maybe would have had to end up being in college for another year, year and a half, two years maybe. And I didn't want to do that. So uh, I, I was watching this um, Bigger Pockets podcast one time. This is the uh, thing that really got me. And there was this, uh, there was, they were interviewing some kid who was uh, about my age, the same age as me, maybe a year younger. And, you know, he was making a lot of money doing real estate stuff. Uh, he actually made so much money to the point where he moved out to California and could afford it easily. And when I started watching that, you know, I was, uh, I started really looking at it because, you know, I'm thinking, what is he doing that I can't do? Because I always felt like I was a smart kid. My parents always told me I was smart. Teachers always told me I was smart. And I tr believe that I'm smart too. I'm not saying I'm, you know, Harvard genius, but I feel like I'm capable of, you know, I feel like I'm competent. So when I seen this, you know, 20 year old talking about, you know, and them interviewing this 20 year old that's successful in life, you know, same situation in college, you know, questioning it, you know, I figured 
maybe I could do what he's doing. And then I guess after when, you know, the lockdowns happened, you know, we, we were still on campus, but, you know, classes were pretty much all on Zoom. So I had more time to myself. So when I had more time, you know, that I didn't have to go to class, you know, I was, you know, reading books, you know, reading of other successful people that did, you know, Henry Ford, Sam Wall, and all of those people. And, you know, I, I felt like I could do what they did. You know, maybe I won't be, you know, I probably won't even be half as successful as they would, as they were, but um, I felt like I could do something like that. You know, I felt like I could, I could, you know, be a success, you know, do something with my life like that. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, started teeter-tottering with the decision, do I stay, do I finish school or do I, you know, take the risk now and drop out? And, you know, I felt like uh, if I did drop out, you know, I'd have, I'd, you know, no place to stay, no money, nothing like that. But I feel like uh, my, my mom kind of went through the same thing when she first came to America. She didn't have a phone, couldn't read, illiterate. And, you know, she just got dropped off at JFK Airport with no money, nothing but the clothes on her back. And, you know, she was able to find her family and then, you know, make a life for herself. So. I felt like if she could do something like that, you know, there's no excuse as to why I can't take the risk. You know, I could always come back to school. You know, there's no law saying I have to be to school in school from 18 to 22. I could take X amount of years off and then come back. So I figured, you know, I, I might as well, you know, take the shot now while I'm young. You were willing to make that sacrifice. Now, you're three years into college. I just want to paint this picture. Um, and I when I first found out about your story and, and when you dropped out of college, I thought it was for financial reasons. And I was wrong by making that assumption. Um, there's a part of you that wants to be an entrepreneur. Um, it's not just the money. Um, it's You said something about the freedom, the, abil the ability to have the flexibility. Um, why, is, why is freedom and flexibility so important to you? The world is, you know, a lot. I look at, you know, my mindset, how I think about it, you know, there's, you know, all these possible possibility of things to do in the world. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I just kind of, I, f I feel it's depressing when, you know, some people are, you know, when I used to be at jobs, you know, when I worked my little part-time jobs and stuff, you know, I'd hear people complaining, you know, about they have to do this, they have to do that, they have to do this. And they can never get a day off because, you know, they can't afford to take the day off. They have to come to work or else, you know, they won't be able to pay the bills. And that's not and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, everybody has to get the money somehow. You know, everybody has to start somewhere. But, you know, a lot of them were way older than me. You know, they were in their 40s, 50s, some 60s and, you know, still complaining about the same stuff I was complaining about. You know, I was complaining, too. You know, I wish I had money. You know, I want to, you know, broke college kid, you know, eating ramen noodles and stuff every day. You know, uh, I was in the same boat with them. But um, what I found, you know, interesting, you know, of course, you know, I would still be saying, well, I don't want to be like this. And, um, you know, when I see, you know, when I watch TV, when I see the successful people, of course, they, they have to work hard as well, but they're choosing to work hard. You know, they're choosing to work hard for something bigger than money. And I've always thought I've always found that life intriguing. You know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, start my own business and be the boss, you know, uh, kind of control my own lifestyle, you know, not necessarily just for the money, but, uh, you know, I, I just want to be able to touch other people. You know, uh, I, I've always wanted to go back to Liberia 
and, you know, kind of show them what I'm doing and, you know, try to be a part of helping the country turn around. And I didn't think I could do that, you know, working a nine to five for 40 or 50 years. This is a great place for us to take a quick break. And then when we'll come back, I want to get into the fact that you were homeless and the sacrifices that you decided to make to pursue your dreams that you just talked about and how it's not just about money, it's bigger than that. And we're gonna pick it up right from there when we come back. This episode of Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast is sponsored by Fallon Upe, strategic advisor, investor, and best-selling author. We hope you're enjoying Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Paralysis to Purpose for more updates. Also, check out David's website at davidcookspeaks.com to learn more about his mission and purchase his book, Getting Undressed, From Paralysis to Purpose. Uh, well, welcome back, everyone. We are so delighted to be talking to Michael Phillips today, and uh, his story and his journey is amazing. And we want to pick it up um, where you've now decided that um, you're going to drop out of college and you're going to pursue uh, your real estate agent's license. Um, I often say that part of fulfilling purpose requires sacrifice. And the amount that you're willing to sacrifice is often an indication of the value of where you're trying to go. You made an incredible sacrifice. First of all, what did your mother think about this? I didn't tell her initially, to be honest, when uh, when I decided to, I didn't tell her until after I uh, decided to uh, start getting my real estate license because I was kind of afraid of how she would react. When I did talk to her, you know, she was a, uh, she was a little, she was, she was kind of disappointed, you know, uh, when I talked to her and my sister in particular, you know, she was like, what are you doing? What do you mean? You know, what do you mean you're dropping out of college? And, you know, just the year before, you know, I told her my initial plans were to finish undergrad and go get my MBA and stuff. And, you know, like I said, she was giddy, happy about that. And then, you know, less than a year later, when I say, yeah, mom, I'm, I'm dropping out, I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, she, she, you know, like a record scratching, you know, she was pretty, she was pretty disappointed. But I explained to her my plans, you know, I told her I wanted to do real estate, you know, that's a business that I've been looking at for the last few months. And it's something that I feel like I can get into and be successful with. And um, she she respected the decision, and that's what meant a lot to me. Of course, you know, maybe she didn't fully agree with it. Even to this day, you know, she still tries to talk me into going back to school. But uh, she at least she understands that, you know, she says, well, if you're going to drop out of school, you don't need to be in school. If, you know, school's not for everybody. But, you know, as long as you're taking this seriously and, you know, you're, you know, making strides to, you know, be successful in it, then, you know, I'm going to support you. I'm with you. And you know that's that's always been a that's always been the, uh, the 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 great part about it, you know, knowing that I still have the support from my mom and my family support. doing what I'm doing. Yeah, support is essential um, for for people who don't have it. I um, I empathize with them because I know my journey. I needed support along the way, and if I didn't have that, I'm not sure what I would have would have accomplished. I mean, I, that's just being honest. So. You, you decide to drop out of school, you know, you've done all this reading, you've gone on YouTube, you obviously have researched what you want to do. And uh, how are you going to pay for your, how are you going to pay for your real estate license? At that point in particular time, I didn't really think that far ahead, but uh, I uh, 
by then I had a I had a car, so and I, there was a job hiring uh, as a delivery driver. So uh, I applied, got the job, and for that summer I was a I was a delivery driver. But the only issue was uh, I didn't have a place to stay because um, I was even though I decided to drop out, I still lived on campus up until the semester was over. So by uh, early May, um, you know, I, I had a job, but uh, in a car, but I didn't have a place to stay. And um, at that point, I was uh, in between either go home and maybe continue what I wanted to do. But uh, knowing myself and knowing, you know, what my family had to do, I felt like uh, my back's against the wall. I felt like, you know, I would actually work harder and uh, try to uh, make things happen a lot faster than I would, you know, because, you know, the situations either, you know, I go work, make the money to pay for my real estate license or, you know, I, you know, starve pretty much. So knowing that and having that, uh, you know, sense of urgency, I chose to know that route instead of, you know, going home with, under the security, you know, being with living with my mom, living with my sister, something like that. I figured that uh, if I, you know, had my back against the wall, I'd get my real estate license a lot faster because, you know, timing was everything to me because I already felt like I was wasting time. So I didn't want to waste any more time and kind of lollygag. You know, I kind of wanted to, you know, go 100 miles an hour to try to get it as fast as I could. But what you said so eloquently was you didn't have a place to live. And your option was to either go home or live in your car. You got a delivery job um, so that you could have some money and uh, you lived in your car. Now, while you were doing this, were you studying for your real estate license thing? How, how, how did all that work together now? Oh, no, for sure, for sure. So uh, at that point in particular, you know, uh, I was uh, actually studying online. I was studying for my real estate exam on my phone. Uh, uh, I didn't have any, I didn't have any really internet access or stuff. I still had, um, I, I would go near my campus because uh, I still had my, uh, my student login still worked for the summertime. So I was at least able to have some Wi-Fi. So, you know, I'd go in the hallways near my, uh, near my college and stuff, kind of sit on the floor, uh, study for my real estate exam. I'd probably wake up, you know, around eight, nine o'clock, study, take the practice exams and all that stuff. And then I'd go work from four to about midnight. And then, you know, I'd go park up in one of the abandoned parking lots on a, on a, the, uh, the street called 11th and Poplar. I'd go park up there and then, you know, for the nighttime, you know, same thing, study, do some studying on it. And then, you know, maybe go to sleep and then, you know, pretty much repeat, wash, rinse, repeat, doing the same thing all, you know, pretty much majority of the summer up until July. This is a story of perseverance. Um, you never quit. You never made an excuse about anything. And you couldn't afford to make an excuse. What did you say? Couldn't afford to make an excuse. You could not afford to make an excuse. You already felt that you had wasted enough time by not following what you really felt inside. And you couldn't afford to make an excuse. But you had nothing to pay for anything. So you had to take your money to help us out. So you're studying in your car, on your phone. You go back toward the school so you get your hotspot or whatever and connect into their Wi-Fi to study. Um, you made enough money to get your real estate license. Well, before that, I'm assuming you took the test and you passed. 
I bought my uh, real estate practice, my real estate practice courses. I bought that first. When I bought that, then I was uh, studying on that, past, past that, past the courses. And then um, July, July 24th, I had to drive down, me and my girlfriend, we drove down to Pittsburgh because uh, they didn't have any uh, testing times in Erie that were, you know, on a reasonable timetable. So I had to, I drove all the way down to Pittsburgh and I remember we slept in the parking lot. Uh, we slept in a park because we couldn't afford a hotel or anything like that. So, uh, you know, we got some pizza and then we just uh, slept in the parking lot. And then, you know, all night, pretty much, I was studying that whole morning studying. And uh, yeah, I passed the exam, thankfully. This episode of Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast is sponsored by Fallon Upe, strategic advisor, investor, and best-selling author. As we return to this episode entitled Homeless to Selling Homes, David welcomes a second guest who met Michael Phillips shortly after he earned his real estate license. David spoke with the two during separate interviews, which we've edited together for part three of today's podcast. Well, I met our guest today uh, on the podcast, Mike Phillips, through Scott Johnston. I, I don't know Scott. This is my first time actually talking with him, but I did see a post on LinkedIn uh, where he was with Mike um, at a men's warehouse store, if I, if I remember correctly. And the story and the caption was so intriguing to me that I reached out to Scott first about seeing if he'd be a guest on the podcast. And he was like, you know what? You need to interview Mike because his story is amazing. Well, I did that, but I thought it'd be a great touch uh, to add Scott. Welcome to the podcast and the floor is yours. David, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you uh, you taking the time to do this. I, I think it's it's important. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, that I've just been kind of overwhelmed with the, the response from this post, um, my kids tell me that there's over 19 million views so far. Um, so I'll give you a little background. So my wife and I um, live in Erie, Pennsylvania. We decided to sell our house in October and we decided to for sale by owner. We wanted to try it. And we got a lot of couple phone calls from some real estate agents that wanted to kind of see the house, do the pitch, see if they can get the listing, which we understand and actually wanted to get some feedback from them. When I met him initially, uh, I was uh, doing some prospecting. This is maybe I had my license uh, maybe for about a month, maybe a little under a month. So I was prospecting and I saw that he lived in the uh, he lived in the, the nice neighborhood, the rich neighborhood. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I took a shot. I, I phone called. I actually talked to his wife at first. Andrea, his wife, Andrea, when I spoke with her, you know, I scheduled an appointment to meet them the, the following day. And then Michael called and, uh, you know, uh, requested a meeting uh, to come see the house and talk with us. And my wife told me and said that this, he sounds like a really young man. Um, probably he looks, sounds new. Um, and my office at the time actually looked out onto the street and I knew he was coming. And I saw this young man pull up in, in, the, in a car right in front of our house. And uh, I saw him kind of sit there for a minute, take a deep breath and get out of his car and, and come into our house. And uh, when I met him, he, he just had a spark about him. I don't know what it was. I have no idea. So uh, when I met them, you know, I kind of went up there, I guess not, not with the greatest attire that you probably would wear going into a neighborhood like that. Most people, they'll probably wear, you know, shirt and tie, stuff like that. But, you know, all I had basically was, a, you know, some polo shirts. And, you know, some sneakers. I didn't even have dress shoes at that particular time yet. So uh, when I went up there, you know, I I figured, well, I probably won't wow them with my attire. But, you know, I, I at least want to go there to show them that I know what I'm talking about. 
you know, I didn't want to sound foolish. You know, I didn't want to make a fool of myself, you know. So I went up there, you know, uh, talked with them. They walked me through their property. And um, while we we're talking, I asked them uh, when you, if, you know, if you were to go with an agent, because they were selling the house by themselves for a little bit. They were going for sale by owner for, for a little while. And um, I asked them a question. If you guys did decide to go with an agent, what would you guys be looking for in an agent? He started, we, we talked about the house a little bit, and then he sat down with us and kind of told us his life story, kind of told us what was going on and how he got into real estate. And it was, it, it, it touched my wife's and, my, and I's heart. Um, he talked to us about being homeless in January and February. Um, and we, uh, he told us a little bit more, you know, what he did and, and, and what he's been doing and trying to make it. And it was just an interesting, he, he it was just something about him. And, you know, they said they want, they prefer an agent that hustles that, you know, that's going to try to get them the best price. And, um, and then I, I told them a little bit of what I went through, you know, I told them that, well, you know, fun fact, I slept in my car while studying for my real estate license, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, I didn't necessarily say that for sympathy or anything like that. I said that, you know, to show them that, you know, I don't make excuses. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to, you know, go and do what I can do to help you guys get the right price. And um, I guess that stuck out with them. When he left, I actually followed him outside. When he came to my house, he was wearing kind of some older jeans with some tennis shoes and a Keller Williams real estate uh, shirt. And uh, I asked him, I said, do you own a suit? And he was like, oh, I just can't afford one right now. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to afford one after selling a couple of houses. I just kind of left it at that. And I walked back inside and my wife looked at me and she said, he, he, he really touched you, didn't he? And I said, man, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's fate. The interesting background about this is my mother, um, I grew up partly in Iowa and partly in California. And my mother was a real estate agent for Keller Williams about 25 years ago. And what's more interesting is Michael Phillips, his last name Phillips is a family name of ours. My son's middle name is Phillips. My dad's middle name is Phillips. So it was just like this complete storm, like this perfect storm of just meaning and I, we went to bed that night and I woke up in the morning. My wife looked at me. She goes, you're still thinking about Michael. I'm like, yeah, I go, I'm calling him today. I'm going to see if he wants to meet me at men's warehouse to, I wanted to buy him a suit. And uh, I called him up. I didn't know how he was going to react. I didn't, I didn't want to pry. I just wanted to offer it up and, um, you know, some, uh, just didn't, just didn't maybe help him out. And he was like, I, you know, I can't believe you're doing this for me. Are you sure? And I said, absolutely. Drove up, met him at men's warehouse. And uh, the following day, uh, he told me to meet him at the uh, men's warehouse, uh, meet him at the men's warehouse. And he got me some suits and some dress shoes. And, and uh, it was it was really it was it was really, really surreal because nobody's ever uh, done anything like that for me outside of the family, of course. So it, that meant a lot to me. Walked in and uh, told the guy I wanted to get him a suit. And he asked me, you know, um, are you, does he work for you? And I said, no, I just met him trying to help him out. Uh, he's a real brand new real estate agent. And uh, as soon as I said that, the guy at the men's warehouse totally changed his tune and literally bent over backwards for us and measured Mike up for a suit. And Mike's that's never happened uh, and started putting together shirts and stuff. And then when he went in the back to try the suit on, I told him I wanted to get him two suits because any businessman, you got to have two suits, throw a couple colored shirts and a couple ties and you got an outfit for two weeks. That's right. As a businessman. So um, when he came back out, I, I told him I was getting him another one. He kind of broke down a little bit. So did I, so did the guy from men's warehouse, because he's like, no one outside of my family's ever helped me. And, uh, it really touched me and it really kind of hit me hard about that. And so bought him the suits and, uh, 
just continue to keep in contact with him. And then in December, with everything that was going on with the political environment, with COVID, with everything, there was so much negativity that that day that I bought those suits, I sent the message actually I put on LinkedIn was a text message I sent to my children. I copied and pasted the text message um, that I sent my kids in October um, over to LinkedIn and just took the picture and, and posted it on LinkedIn. Just to, for me, it was, I, I know how good I felt when I helped Michael. And I knew, I know how good I felt when I looked at his perspective of what he was going through. And I kind of saw myself in him. I, I, I left home at 14 to go pursue a hockey career. Um, so I understand what it is to be on your own um, and, and to struggle. And so I, I, I put it on LinkedIn, not thinking anything about it. I just put it on there, maybe to inspire someone. At that point, I think I maybe knew 300 people on LinkedIn. I mean, it was not a lot of people. Um, I just kind of wanted to inspire someone and maybe, maybe someone in Erie would see that and see him and say, you know what, I'm going to have, I want to list my house with that young man. Um, it, that, that's kind of what was the thought process around it. And then it, I mean, it blew up like you couldn't imagine. I mean, the, um, the, the feedback, the, you know, the comments, I guess my daughter told me there was over 40,000 comments on the, on the post. So many people have reached out to me and sent Michael things and connected with them. And Michael and I have remained friends this whole time. Um, I've actually introduced him to a couple people. Uh, one of my friends is developing the east side of Erie and is looking for a young agent to help him. And so I've connected Michael with him. And then back, um, and then in March, my wife and I just decided that um, listing it ourselves was not the right way to go. And uh, we didn't even hesitate uh, to call Michael to list the house with him. We wanted to make sure that he knew that he could sell a house in any neighborhood and sell it to any person at any time. Yeah, we actually, I actually is currently under contract right now. They uh, ended up winning the listing. Uh, we have it under contract right now. We're hopefully in a little less than a month actually supposed to be closing. Well, congratulations on that. See, that's that not, not only um, did you make a sacrifice and get your business started, and meet somebody who would sew into your life, um, you're also getting a deal done. Um, is this, will, it, will that be your first closing or have you had other ones as well? Yeah, this will be my first closing. Fantastic, well, congratulations. He is a very driven young man and, and uh, you know, you could tell by his family roots, you know, he's a first generation person, you know, young man living out of Philadelphia. So. When, when, when I saw that, I kind of felt my, how I felt when I walked in, when I was in a new town at 14 years old, trying to play hockey and not knowing anyone and scared and lonely. And, you know, I see, I, I saw that in him and I, you know, I, I knew I could make a difference, but I also saw someone that if just given a small opportunity, you could tell that he was going to run with it. It's, this is how you make a difference. This is how you make change. And, you know, when you have, when it's within your means to serve and to help, um, and you do it, this is what you get. For all those listening, um, and if you're looking for a real estate agent in the uh, Philadelphia area, you need to take care of my guy right here. Um, you've heard his story. You know how hard uh, he has worked and the sacrifices that he has made, and partnerships are important. Um, and he made one with, with Scott, and I think he can make one with you. And if you all are interested, uh, please do that. Um, Michael, before we end, um, 
Is there anything that you would like to say to the audience? One piece of advice, the thing that keeps me going that I like to uh, tell people is uh, whatever it is that you say you're going to do, you know, uh, to have the mindset that you're going to either succeed at it or die. You know, that's kind of how I look at it with uh, real estate. I have the uh, mindset that I'm either going to sell houses, invest in houses, be really good at it, or I'm going to die. Because, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, plan on going back to college anytime soon. I don't plan on, you know, getting a regular job again. And, you know, this is really what I want to do. So I say, you know, if I don't succeed at it, it looks like I'm going to be homeless again you know uh gonna be homeless again with no money and you know that was a that was a tough that was a tough time in my life that was a tough time in my life so i like to use that pain you know that's another thing use whatever pain that you're running away from you know uh keep keep that always at the top of your mind so uh if you know sometimes if i ever do find myself slacking off you know i remember that pain that i went through with not having a roof over my head or you know any money really um i appreciate your time I appreciate your transparency, your honesty. Uh, you, you've done a great job. I know that uh, listeners sometimes don't understand that it's not easy for everyone to tell their story. Uh, it can be they're uncomfortable speaking and they want to make sure they're not rambling and all that kind of stuff. Well, I ramble all the time. So um, you did a great job. Your story is phenomenal. Um, as with all of my guests, you, you, you will receive a signed copy of my book, Getting Undressed from Paralysis to Purpose. I hope you enjoy it. Until next time, this is David Cooks reminding you that your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure. You can do anything you put your mind to. Thanks for tuning in to Paralysis to Purpose. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paralysis to Purpose on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. To purchase his book, visit davidcooksspeaks.com. Be sure to tune in next time for more inspiring conversations with David Cooks. Never forget it. We was headed down to my son's baby shower, um, and they called me and said, hey, we need you to come into the office now. It was on a Saturday, and I was like, all right, look, we about to get clear. We, we about to go in and get clear. And so I walk into my training room and we sit down and Matt guys has a look on his face and I'm not really paying attention to it. I'm like, hey man, what's up? Talk to me. When can I get back to playing ball? And he was like, well, you need to start thinking about things outside of football. Next time on Paralysis to Purpose. First time I ever heard that in my life. Won't be the last though. And so when you say that, I'm like, Whoa, like, what you mean? Football, like, this is how I'm gonna feed my family, provide for my family. My goal is to make it to the league. I never thought about doing anything else outside of football. What do you mean? Well, you got a, you have a brain to it. Paralysis to purpose.